we try and avoid keeping clients in the bedroom. We feel like it's not a particularly modern way to do business. So we're not, it's not really a thing for us. Just going back, this is humanistic media. Welcome to the Rebooting Show, Riviera Edition. I want to thank my friends at Audigen, uh, in particular Dave Rosner, for making room for me at their suite here in Cannes, since I basically have unusable Wi-Fi at my Airbnb. The South of France stuff isn't all glamour, I promise you. This week I spoke to Neil Vogel, the CEO of Dot Dash Meredith. Neil has led a remarkable turnaround at what used to be called About.com. Dotdash broke About.com into vertical brands like Very Well, LifeWire, and The Spruce, while adding in smaller brands that it bought, you know, all around the idea of intent media, which is basically service journalism, but more importantly, being there when people are trying to figure out something to do, whether that's cook dinner, remodel a room, or figure out how to replace a router. In 2021, Dash made waves as the unlikely buyer of Meredith, a stable of iconic magazine brands in a $2.7 billion deal. So the company now has assets like people, better homes and gardens, food and wine, and more. Some of the takeaways that I had from my conversation with Neil is that having a good user experience doesn't have to come at the expense of the business. And, you know, media business is hard. And I always mention how difficult it is to satisfy different constituencies between audience, advertisers, and nowadays algorithms too. But that dash has proven that you can pull this off and you can have fewer ads, faster sites, and better content and still make a lot of money because they're very profitable. The other thing I took away is that print still has an important role. You know, everyone likes to call things dead, but print isn't going to be going away, but it's still not going to be the driver of many media businesses going forward. If run efficiently, it can do an important job of being a statement of the brand. It's not going to be as frequent and it's probably going to be more expensive too. It does play a role in the future publishing business. Third takeaway is that driving transactions is critical, but maybe not building products as a publisher. There's a lot of talk about commerce media here in Cannes, and publishers have seen their commerce businesses as bright spots. Dotdash does a large chunk of its business in driving transactions. Yet at the same time, Neil is very cautious when the discussion turned to actually making products themselves versus passing on the customer to other companies that do that. And that's because these are pretty much different businesses. So I hope you enjoy the talk. One warning, the last five minutes are strictly devoted to the Philadelphia Eagles and their prospects in the season to come. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy it. Neil, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the show. I'm bummed you're not in Cannes, though. I'm here in Cannes. I want to thank uh, my my partners at Audigent for allowing me uh, to to use one of their bedrooms in their suite to record this. But you're not here. Why not? No, this is the first can, first non-COVID can I've missed, I think, in like a decade. Uh, we uh, now own Food & Wine magazine, website, home media business. We had our big Food & Wine Festival in Aspen last weekend. And it was just too much to do both. And uh, But I'll be back. We'll be back. We have a whole contingent, that, contingent, contingent, not contingency, yeah. whole contingent there. And, uh, they're having fun. <laughs> I heard it's good. I heard it's. I heard this some momentum. You know the 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 cans in the in the not huge years are always the best ones. Yeah. No. The actual it, like it filters the out, experience filters of it. Like the I remember the after the financial crisis, it was like 
It was a nice can. I mean, like, you know, that it was, was a little about, less this exuberant. Is, I'm a little, I mean, I can't exactly say I have FOMO. That is not what I have. Uh, but it is nice to see clients and do, you yeah. know, do all those things. No, in all serious, I'm like writing like a piece about this. But like, you know, the one like sort of, it's easy to be cynical in can and stuff like this. But it's also sort of bad luck to like sort of be like, oh, this is so terrible. It's like you're in the south of France. No, it's not. Um, First of all, if you think it's terrible, you're lying. Like, it's not terrible. It's great no, I, in one place and like, it's really fun. I'm saying that it's not good to be like that because it's easy to focus on the oh, garishness yeah, agree, and the agree, overtopness. Agree. But I think the one thing that I've like, it's like you think everything's going to change in COVID and like, you know, God bless the metaverse and stuff like this. Come to can Like humans like connect with other humans. No, you need humans. You need and, humans. you know, sure. Please Rose don't expense, like, don't expense the helicopters, but come to can Yeah. Although Blade has like, I don't know, like 250 euros. So think about it. No, I don't know. Mention Media Link and it's only 200 euros. <laughs> All right. So, Neil, I remember yes. when we, it was actually at another one of these type of events, although it's not as important anymore. It was South by Southwest. You had just uh, joined, you know, the artist formerly known as About.com, right? And like we had known each other for years. I had just really joined. Here we Digital. go way back. And I remember going to like breakfast with you and you told him, he's like, well, we cleaned up all these sites and stuff like this. And I, I nodded and I probably said some nice things, but I was like, this is never going to work. About you were like nice, but you were also, you were a well, little dismissive. Most so, people were dismissive. It was the right reaction. It was the right yeah. thing to be. And the reason I'm dismissive, because I hate when people call me cynical, because I'm not cynical, I'm skeptical. It's a professional feature, not a bug. But like, the reason is because the internet is not good with comeback stories. Like, remember when they tried to bring back MySpace and the Yahoo is here, they're still trying to bring back MySpace. There are no, there are very few, if any, successful comeback stories. This is actually one, which is, congrats, it's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I mean, I think it's a comeback because we didn't really try and come back. We just started again. But you made it easier. I mean, you know this. You can tell the story if you want. I'll do it in like 30 seconds. Yeah. But 100 years ago, which feels like 100 years ago, but it was really like six or seven years ago, we were still about.com. And about.com, for those of you who don't know, was like a general interest website full of random answers to things, like help you content. Like in the old days, it had been called service content, evergreen content, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it had gotten old and long in the tooth and it was horrible to use, but some of the content was still really great. And we, I came in, I was hired by IAC to run it in like 2013. And we spent a couple of years messing around with it, which couldn't get any traction. We were, frankly, we were quite bad at it. But the one thing we did learn in being very bad at it was we learned that there was this core of content, like intent-driven content that really helped people. And we've talked about this before, but the one thing that kept happening in about.com that we never understood, because frankly, we were pretty bad, is a few really smart, really big clients kept giving us money. And they kept giving us money very specifically at where they wanted it to go. And we couldn't really figure it out. But then we eventually figured out they wanted money because our content helped people and was very down the funnel. So if you're trying to get somebody to go visit your resort, or you're trying to get somebody to uh, use your pharmaceutical product, you're trying to get somebody to buy your router, like it makes a lot of sense to be on the content that explains where you should go or why your router is too slow. So using that kernel, we realized that there was no place for a general interest website anymore. We took about.com. We had 2 million pieces of content. We threw probably a million six in the trash. With the 400,000 remaining, we started launching our own brands and new brands that people have now heard of, like The Spruce and Very Well and Lifewire. And we launched new sites in health, finance, home food, tech, travel. And that was all a good idea. Like, you know, let's make brands that resonate each of these verticals as opposed to about.com that resonated with nothing. But as Barry Diller said to us, he was like, you guys have one problem. You know, don't make 
six or seven problems. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And for those of you who don't know, we're, we're part of IC, which is Barry Diller's media holding company. And But what we did is we also took a look at media at the time and we thought that it was wrong. And it helped. It's not, oh. I act like we're outsiders. We're not anymore. We're kind of the ultimate insiders. But at the time okay. we were outsiders, we looked at media and we're like, this is dumb. Like there's too many ads. These sites are unusable and too slow on mobile. And you got all these problems with algorithms between you and your audiences. You got to find ways to make good relationships with them to understand how to deal with algorithms. So we did something simple. We said, when we make these new sites, we're going to make sites that are super fast. So they work great on mobile, which was a big deal five or six years ago and still a big deal now like super, super fast. They're going to be super clean and well-designed. We're going to have 30 to 50% fewer ads than any of our competitors. And we're going to spend all of our money on content. So we're going to end up with the best content to help you with these problems in your life on the fastest sites with the fewest ads. And the bet was, if this works, we're going to have more traffic. Our ads are going to be more valuable and our brands are really going to start to grow and we'll eventually be able to sell premium advertising. And that's exactly what happened. And we got some traction out of the gate. I mean, the minute we launched our first site very well, it just went up and to the right. Then the spruce went up and to the right and they all did. And then we started to get some traction. We're like, well, well, what else can we do here? Like the one missing part of our formula is we're missing brands. Like we're making up our own brands from scratch. I mean, we had the arrogance to think like, oh, we're going to compete with WebMD or, oh, we're going to compete with Better Homes and Gardens. And we did, frankly, because we were better at the internet than these guys were. So we took share, took share, took share, but no one knew who we were. And you'd argue that like right now, because we know a lot about Better Homes and Gardens because we own it now, eight times as many people search on Google for Better Homes and Gardens as the Spruce, yet the Spruce has twice as much traffic. So like we were good at this. So then we went out and we started to make small acquisitions of brands like Birdie and Brides and Serious Eats and Simply Recipes. And we ran our plays in our playbook on brands that people kind of knew or brands that had like really niche footholds. And those like all worked. And we're like 13 for 13 with brands we launched and brands we bought. And then we've been working a lot with IAC and we took a business that was probably, again, these numbers are all public. It was, we went from 50 million in revenue to trending towards 300 million in revenue and trending towards a hundred EBITDA, I think our last before we bought Meredith, we were doing like 80 some in EBITDA from losing, we you know, we were losing 20 EBITDA when it started. So we basically made a hundred million dollars a year. You can see, so you can make money in media, it turns out. Yeah, it's not that hard, but here's the thing. Anybody who thinks they're going to reinvent the rules of historical media, like don't give them money. You're not going to. Like media is super simple. Collect and serve audiences that are valuable, make yourselves valuable to them. Deliver them to advertisers, partners, and marketers in a way that works for your audience and your marketer. That's it. Like all the other nonsense, like any publisher that tells you they're a tech company, like run for the hills. Like they're not. Like you may be very good at technology and we're very good. We've got hundreds of engineers and we're awesome at it, but it's all in service of being a media business and a publisher. And we get paid by selling ads and we get paid by sourcing transactions for people. We can get into that. So anyway, go back, going back to the story, the summer we had the opportunity to, we really looked at Meredith for a very long time. And we originally broke up about.com into brands. We basically took Meredith and on a wall, dissected it, all of their properties, all their templates, every single thing that they did. And we're like, well, we need to beat this. I'm like, oh, we think we can beat that. And we did the same thing to a bunch of other media companies too. And then we ended up building a better web product, which is the only reason why our, we work because our brands aren't nearly as strong as theirs. So this summer, a a series of things happened to Meredith that made it available to buy. 
And we went back to IAC to Joey Levin and to Barry Diller. I mean, it was a fairly short conversation. It was like, we need $2.7 billion to buy something that is three times, four times our size because it's the best brands in the world that have been cloaked as print brands, but they're really digital brands. And if you look at the revenue and how to make money, it's like a digital business. And we think if we did this with Birdie and the Spruce, imagine what we can do with people in better homes and gardens and Real Simple and Southern Living and all these brands. And to make a long story short, we bought it. That was six months ago. We're now like the biggest publisher, maybe the biggest publisher in the world now, online and print. The vast, vast, vast majority of our profitability is online, but the print is a huge key to branding and a really interesting part of the mix that we've actually really like. So now we're here. Five years ago, six years ago, we were $50 million, losing $20 million. Yeah. We were about.com. We had no, no apparent future. And now we're- That's the, why it was very sensible for me to leave that breakfast and be like, <laughs> oh, man, I hope Neil can still go back to the Webbies. <laughs> I mean, we, look, I think- Look, the best part about this story is the same crew, like Tori Brangham, Alex Ellerson, Tim Quinn, these names some people in the industry know, like we were the same guys that were here when this sucked. And we worked it, we got it together and a combination of, we had a good idea that worked. And then we had IAC's press your bet mentality and balance sheet. And now we're here. Yeah. And it's been really fun. But the point I want to talk about a little bit is like creating that like virtuous cycle, because I think everyone wants to, right? But particularly modern digital publishing, a lot of times you're working against yourself, right? Like you have to choose which side you're going to please. Like, are you going to please the audience, right? You're going to have a clean, fast loading website. Are you going to please your customers who are often the advertisers, right? Like, are you going to please the the algorithms and you're trying to please all these different people. And I think what becomes very clear is if your business model isn't right, you're not going to be able to please. You're going to have to make a hundred percent, but like break that into two buckets. So audiences and algorithms are one bucket and customers, advertisers are the second bucket. And this is something we say internally all the time. And it's not true, but we say it for a fact. It's we do not care about money. Money doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to us is that we build really big intent-driven audiences, right? You got this intent where they're cooking dinner for their family. They're dealing with diabetes. Like they're doing something very specific that you know their intent. You don't need cookies. You know exactly what they want to do. We can do that at scale and we can do it in a branded environment that's trusted. If you can make really great content on a really fast site, that is going to cause you to be unable to do a lot of things for advertisers they want you to do. You're not. You're just not going to be able to do a lot of stuff programmatically. You're yeah. not going to be able to do some stuff premium, but that's totally fine. Because when you build really big, responsive audiences and all on all the doctor sites, every ad is 70% viewable or better, people need you. And what you can do is you can then work with advertisers and sponsors and say, look, we're not going to do that because it doesn't work our model, but we can do this instead. It's never no. It's always like no, but. So our focus is 100% audiences, algorithms, and then secondarily, customers. Now, it turns out that customers actually love this, and I think our numbers bear that out. They, we know what makes our sites tick. We know what makes them work. We know what people respond to. So that's put us in this place where, yeah, yeah, we're not going to let you do like a pop-up and a takeover and a nine minute long pre-roll, but we know exactly what works on our sites and it's, it really works. 
Yeah. So, but I also makes you way better programmatically. Yeah. So, like, I think that's what's interesting is that, like, you know, there's always been this, you know, being here in Cannes, there's always been this, like, weird divide between, like, remember, like, 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 above the line and below the line, right? And like, you know, for a while, like, I, that, I mean, do people still say that? I know like, that that was the that was always the sort of. But uh, now, like, you know, now that direct marketing has been, I never re- totally knew what that meant. I, well, I never, it meant direct. It meant that. like direct. The, below the line was direct. Direct marketing, right? It was like the. This, it also made no sense that somehow you you let direct marketing people pay you less because they were direct marketers. But the, brand, I don't. I never. Yeah, got I know. Any of but that. like you know, whatever. It's like the TV people that are calling their commercials films like to be like, right, no, right, exactly. the direct mail guys. That's not like real. <laughs> but what I think is interesting in the internet because like you know, direct marketing was. I used to write for DM News. Like I, you know, after the dot com bubble, like I I learned the direct marketing industry. I'm like these people. People are very sensible and like they apply data in smart ways. And if something's working, they do more of it. And if something's not working, they don't do it. And it's like very logical. I mean, it's the, like direct mailers are the true first people yeah. that ever understood the internet. But like we like made it into like the industry made it into performance marketing. What I think is interesting is the more I think in some ways, like the more performance driven that your business model is, the better your user experience has to be. Like it used to be if you were into big image advertising. Vogue and stuff like this, you would have like, that's the best media experience. But if you go to like, for instance, Forbes, go to Forbes.com and have that experience and then go to Forbes Advisor, which has a different business model that is based on performance. And guess what? The site is cleaner. The site loads better. Like it's just better. It's not a technology problem, not a technology problem. (laughs) So Here's the thing, historically, and I think it's been our advantage. They're trying to take these simple concepts and turn them into brain surgery. It's not. It's not. Like, clean messages, fast sites, good experiences, fewer options, and you do way better. Like, And the thing for us is we've been doing this now for like five or six years, and it's been out there for everyone to see. And there's a lot of people that have like tried to knock us off and try to do this. But like the thing is... It, it doesn't work unless you do everything. You have to make the sites fast. You have to cut down the ad load. You have to increase the value of the content. If you don't do all three of those, this whole thing that we do is not going to work. But you, you said it. The thing is, there's this historical view that if you're like a brand advertiser or, or like a direct you know, performance-driven advertiser, that's a totally different experience. It's not. It's actually the same thing. It's totally, now you might use different tools or different units, but it's, and you just said it, it's the same thing and the same discipline. And when, you know, when you have a company of 4,000 people or 4,500 people, whatever we are now, forget the exact number, you have to have like simple messages, right? And the simple message that we put forth is best, fastest, fewest, best content, fastest sites, fewest ads. And it doesn't specify like what type of ads. And if you're helping someone find what credit card to use, that experience is going to look a lot different than if you're like diagnosis, diagnosing like your tennis elbow. It's going to be a very different thing. But that concept weaves through everything and it gives you like the discipline to know like, how am I going to make decisions here? Yeah. So talk about like then taking on like, you know, quote unquote legacy brands, correct? And it's one thing to build a brand for that. Yeah, it's the right. Again, here's the thing. Like if you look at, Meredith sites, and you look at dot dash sites, the percentages of traffic from sources are very similar. It's not, we were a little bit more Google, I think, just because we grew so quickly there. We haven't had a chance to, like, our brands aren't as good. So, like, they have way more direct traffic and email traffic, but like, the percentages aren't that far off. It's, it's pretty close. The, the most amazing thing about the Meredith brands and what got us so excited is everything we've dealt with. First, we created ourselves. 
So then, and then we bought a bunch of brands that were, that are really interesting brands, but none of them are particularly big. And the thing that you have to be on the internet, and this is what we learned, is you can't be just as good and win. You have to be better. So if you're going to win in health, you have to be better than Healthline, better than WebMD, better than Everyday Health, better than Mayo Clinic materially. That is very hard. If you're going to win in food, you have to be better than all the other food sites that aren't us. Now, we are a lot of the food sites now, so we're often competing with ourselves, which is fine. But that's what we really learned because we had to overcome this brand hurdle. Like if someone is going to go to very well for a legitimate health problem, we have to be so much better so someone trusts us. The interesting thing with the Meredith brands that's so incredible is they've been doing this for so long and they're so good and the content is so good and so trusted. Mm -hmm. Now, it may not be in the right format that the internet needs, but it's so good that we've been able to get consumers, email lists, Google, Pinterest, everyone is so much more responsive to improvements on these brands than they ever have been on our brands just because there's so much more trusted that we get to grow these things. I think it's going to be way faster and way bigger. Like there is no logical reason the spruce is twice the size of better homes and gardens on the internet. It yeah. makes no sense. But is it, like, it shouldn't be. That so I way. guess, is that like a technology problem or is that that they're not creating the right content that is satisfying mm -hmm. needs out there? So like, do, will these brands, cause so we have seen a, brands that were, were legacy brands and that were taken over and were turned into basically glorified SEO farms, right? Like the brand still has a no, lot of juice and stuff. Like, oh, I'm just trying to, you know, antagonize a little bit. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, we got to keep it real. But so, so, and it's fine. So what you, I mean, the trick with these brands are, I am the brands that for Meredith all come from print, right? And because of the history of Meredith and how long it's been around and everything, it was very much a print first place. Print drove the bus with everything, and which is great. But I think since we bought it, we were very clear when we bought print that like we're not the guys that are going to sell the secular decline in print. However, print has a place in the media ecosystem that's really valuable. For us, it's branding. It's an expression of like a, what a brand feels like and can be very profitable if sized properly. And we've done that. We cut a bunch of titles, and we're now down to like these seven titles we really love. The trick that you need to do is not like, turn it into a content farm or shut the magazine. That's that the workflows and work product and use case of these different media things can all exist under a same brand and the same editorial view and be totally different. So let's take, I don't know, let's take better homes and gardens, whatever. The magazine is for inspiration. It's for stories. It's beautiful. It has pictures. You want it on your coffee table. It comes once a month. It's got a surprise and delight. Four and a half million people get that every month. The website is for mm -hmm. that, but the website is much more for utility. It's help. It's researching a project. It's I want inspiration. It's I want to know how to cook this. I want to know how to paint this. It's much, much more. And then there's, and it's a very different workflow and a very different way you need to structure things. Like, like we may do the spring planting issue in Better Homes and Gardens, like all the things you plant in the spring. And then on the internet, you do a giant, garden plant library that has thousands of plants in it and depending on where you live and your climate will help you plant stuff and then on social that's the entertaining stories that combine these two other things and the trick is to get yeah. everybody working on everything to agree on what the brand is and what the brand means and let them do their thing and if you do that it totally works if you try and say the digital people are in charge or the print people are in charge the social people are in charge that's where it gets messy the second thing you have to do 
is, and this is much, much less of a problem now, and it's been amazing how quickly the Meredith people have uh, adopted this, is you all have to play ball together. If the digital people and the print people and social people and these people cannot get along, they cannot work here. And it's been really amazing to watch them all like work together and thrive. And the Better Homes and Gardens is the best example. Like two months ago, it's our, it's, we got Harry Styles to do the cover of Better Homes and Gardens, which for us was a huge deal. And for the internet and for the world was a huge deal. It was part of showing the world that we are taking Better Homes and Gardens and we're taking it from like the best homemaking magazine to the best home magazine. That's the transition we're trying to make with it. We put Harry Styles on the cover. It got like, I'm going to get these numbers, billions and billions of media impressions. It broke the internet. There's galleries, there's pictures. If we would have done that online, nothing would have happened. But because we did it in print, it was a huge signal. We have like Drew Barrymore on the Drew Barrymore show saying like, look out, Better Homes and Gardens is coming for you now. Like, so, so hey. what print can do is unique and special. But what did that do? What business results did that drive? I mean, you're used to like, you know, you create content and you grind through the RPMs and stuff like this. But is that like, how do you put a value on that? There's branding buyers, there's performance buyers, there's everything buyers. The brands have to feel fresh and new and always do new things. That's the beauty of a brand. The implied trust of a brand and what a brand means, you have to clearly communicate to the market. Also, brands, and we see this with Meredith brands and our brands, Real brands perform better with users in terms of all of the metrics of engagement and how they interact with advertising. Brands that you know perform better than brands you don't know because people trust yeah. them, right? Like, and we've seen at our brands, performance has increased over time. Like when we first launched this Bruce, it was okay. And now it's outstanding. And you see a lot of that. So just really understanding how media works and knowing that the vast majority of the money you are going to make and profitable you're going to have is going to be digitally centric, right? It's going to be, you're going to be selling ads, you're going to be sourcing transactions, you're going to be doing stuff on social, but print as part of the ecosystem for a people, a real simple, a better homes and gardens, a Southern living, a travel and leisure, a food and wine is uh, an incredible part of the mix. And something that like, we're straight digital guys. We like print more than print guys because like, we can't believe we have real assets mm -hmm. now. We're like, I can't believe we like print stuff <laughs> that people really love. And I think we have a very different view of it. It doesn't have to be, there's no illusion or expectation that print is like this huge profitable, has to grow part of the business. It's not. It has to promote brand. It has to be beautiful. It has to be aspirational. People have to want to have yeah. it. And it's really But with fun. digital, like, do these brands need to create different kinds of content? Like what I'm guessing is like, how 100%. do you, but how do you keep the DNA of the brand and not just have better homes and garden with a lot of stuff that looks like Spruce? I mean, Spruce is great, but it, like, it's different. Totally. Like it should, it should have different it types of content. It has to have its own POV. Okay. So let's take people as an example, right? Because we're going very deep on people yeah. right now. And what people does in print, what they've done digitally in the past is they do two things. It's the, it's like ordinary people doing extraordinary things and extraordinary people doing ordinary things. So it's celebrity yeah. and human yeah. interest. And what we've learned about how this works is we have an editor-in-chief who's amazing named Liz Becker and the entire people team now agrees what people is. And it's those things, right? However, the change we've made to people that has been a really big deal and is really helping us and we have a lot of momentum from it is... You have to understand what works in People magazine is probably content about George Clooney, the Queen, and Julia Roberts, right? On the cover. Totally works, right? 
that and human interest stories, you know, the like yeah. rescue cat from tree. I'm not belittling it. They're really amazing stories, but like, I just can't think of a good example now. Then digitally, what works is, you know what? They're not that interested in Clooney. It's like younger. It's a little, their Clooney still works, but it's a little bit more Kardashian in the content. And the content we make is less like long form featurey and much more quick hit entertainment news, celebrity news, and longer human TikTok and Instagram. And they're like, who's Julia Roberts? So <laughs> that ends up being like Tinks and the Dumilia sisters. But what we've, the change that we've made is said that the definition of celebrity for people used to be driven by the magazine, like digital reported into print until we bought this. Once we said, okay, let's all agree on what the brand is and people that know how the internet works and know how social works can use this brand for the celebrities and audiences that they're serving, all of a sudden, like the lights came on. Last month, we had our highest traffic month of people we've yeah. ever had. Now, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard helped that a little bit, but it, we probably would have had it anyway. So it's really just like freeing, understanding what a brand means. And here's the thing. You need to have healthy debate yeah. for that, right? You can't, we're not, we don't compensate anybody on traffic. We don't trace, chase traffic. We don't even generally look at individual URLs for traffic. Mm. We look at groups and concepts and things like what is working? What do people want? What are algorithms like? what a human's like. And it's been like a fascinating yeah. transition. But for people us. is interesting because like never in a million years would I imagine dot dash to, to have started a people like, like I understand it was part of the Meredith like portfolio, but like that was like, it's a strange fit to me. Like just because like a lot of your business it, it, uh, is very intent driven. I do not think, I mean, you can stretch the word intent driven however you want it to, for it to fit, but I don't think of people as so, that. It's not, it is absolutely not intent. About Call 40% of their traffic is intent-driven when you break okay. it down as to what people are reading and doing. So 60% is not, and it's 70 million uniques a month. Like it's one of the biggest yeah. single-ish like topic sites in the world. It's amazing. I, I think what we loved about it is we've always said we're never going to do news. We're never going to yeah, do sports. That's what I'm, that's we can't good. sell that. We don't want to be any part of that. But we never said we were never going to do entertainment. The problem with entertainment was the economics are different, right? The traffic is less valuable. It's a little less predictable. It's going to be a little bit more programmatic, although we have a tremendous like entertainment advertising and brands and advertising there. If we did to people what we did to our other brands, and again, people had been in the shadow of print for this really long time, that we knew that entertainment could work if you had scale. There's only really like one or two things, mainly people that had enough scale to make entertainment work. So when we had a chance to look at Meredith, we were initially very skeptical of people. Like what, we don't know how to do this. And it turns out, we actually do know how to do this. It's the same thing we've done for our other yeah. sites, right? Just a different kind of content and you're doing it. Gail, it's like unit economics are less, but the units are so much more that it totally works. And from a brand sale perspective, yeah. being able to include people into deals that are like super performance driven, intent driven, down funnel is something that lots and lots of marketers want, right? Like we are... First step of the Academy Awards and we're going to do all kinds of stuff. We have a whole new management team there led by like Leah Weyer and Lisa Carello, like the, this all-female management team. It's all-female management. They haven't had female leadership in God knows how long. And it's going to be, we're really, it's been actually but like widen, thing. Frankly, it made You're widening nervous. the lane. And I wonder because like we've talked over the years and I, about like, you know, yeah. people I will not mention, but you're like, ah, I don't know why they're doing news. Like they're not like, that's like crazy. When everyone's like pivoting into news. Like, but again, we're not. Uh, and, but I wonder like, because this is like, you're getting out doing, of service. 
it, it was a word news and that it's entertainment news, but it, what it is and what works for us is not so much service, although we definitely do like service. And again, 40% of this is service. It's defined audience. News has no defined audience and the defined audience for sports is like dudes. So the defined still 49% of the population, audience, I mean. audience. Yeah, I know, but it's too broad. You can't, Unless you have a giant, it, it, you could do sports if you have a humongous site and you can make money doing it. Like that's what people is. It's yeah. so big and so scaled. And look, the other thing, which is not, which is the other thing working in our favor. And like, I'll just say it directly. People for whatever it's worth and it has been run by print people since its inception. So it has gotten to 70 million uniques a month always playing second fiddle to a print magazine that frankly is a way smaller part yeah. of the mix. So by putting real digital people in charge and letting the digital have, you know, equal time, if not the lead slot has changed yeah. everything. Let's talk a little bit about the business model. How important has commerce been? Because like, I always think about like how you guys were always very performance driven to me. Like, and in that, I don't mean that as a knock. That's good yes. because you want to be on the performance side, really. You can add the brand stuff, like, you know, and that, I think that's wonderful, but like performance gives you a ton of leverage. And I think of commerce as being like the perfect performance, like instead of like, you know, giving it over to someone. Uh, it is, and it changes to me the so mindset been, of like the, pub, the organization everything. to some degree, probably. So we never, it's like all things we've talked about. We never did like a pivot to commerce. Like four or five years ago, when we started to understand what like intent was, we learned from studying our users that if you're on LifeWire because your router is too slow, there's two paths to take. We're going to help you fix your router, which never happens because nobody can fix a router. Or you need to buy a new router. And people wanted us to help them buy a new router. So we started to do this right? The, here's the best router. Here's the best router for a big house, for a small house, for, you know, under a hundred bucks, over a hundred bucks for your office, for your whatever. And that started to work. And before I'm not sure. And now I think last year between dot dash and Meredith, I'll get these numbers slightly wrong. I think we set $3 billion of transactions to partners last year, helping you buy the best blender, helping you source the best brokerage account, helping you do all of these things that when you have super fast sites with incredible content and it's trusted, people then want to take the next step. And we do it all with impeccable editorial integrity. And we do it all where there's not a single person who writes any edit of these reviews that knows anything about how we get paid. We have, after the Meredith acquisition, we probably have 100 to 100 and 120,000 square feet of product testing space. We have 48 or 49 test kitchens where we test every recipe that we have, that we write and every like tool and every pot and every pan, because we're so big in the food space, like it has become a huge business for us. And it's a material part of our revenue. You know, I, I'm not sure I now forget the combination, how much it is, but it's probably close to, you know, 25, 30% of our revenue is from yeah. helping people decide what transactions to do. And again, it happened very organically. The beauty for us is it wasn't this thing. We're not like some random news publisher that said, okay, well now we're yeah. going to tell people what vacuum cleaners to buy. That's not what we do. We review vacuums on Spruce and we review it on Better Homes and Gardens and we review it on My Domain. And, you know, you're, if we're reviewing uh, products on food, yeah. it's on all recipes, right? Because the audience is different. So we probably have 200, 250 people that are just 
product testing, review writing now. And it's really become a major part yeah. of what we do. But you're also selling products, right? I'm interested in that because like, look, we've seen like with Food 52 and a few others, like it, there are a lot of things that sound good on paper, but are really difficult to execute. We don't. So we don't really sell. Almost everything we do is, a, is we send to someone else to right. sell. We have tried to sell some things ourselves. We tried some stuff at liquor.com. We tried some other small things. And you're right. Like we're not. There's a whole secondary thing when you sell something that everyone thinks you just sell it and it's over. Mm-hmm. Like the customer service, sourcing, uh, inventory, like we don't know how to do that. And maybe we'll learn and we can definitely learn. And we've, we're playing around, you know, we have these amazing cocktail kits at liquor.com that we sold a million, not a million, but like yeah. a whole bunch of last Christmas. It's an immaterial amount of revenue, but we're learning how to do this. And right now for us in the value chain, it is, we're much better at, let's get the six, whatever, home sushi makers, the best ones. Let's test them. Let's have all these chefs do all these things for them. And let's tell you which one to buy. And then if you click through us, we get paid something. That is better for us now than trying to merchandise sushi makers and sell them. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah, because yeah. it's interesting because a lot of people like want to go down this direction of blurring the lines between media and product right and i get it like you know it's, and it sounds good in presentations and stuff like this and i'm like oh that Maybe, sounds very exciting I mean, uh, you know like you I, I it is very hard to think of anyone who has successfully there's no such thing as a magalog there it has never worked it, is, there, it has never been there are publishers and people who have media assets who are excellent at selling but they're really two totally separate things yeah so like you don't you're not you know it's not like it's a different audience. Yeah. So the final thing is just is around like when you think about the the business and how it's changed right over over the last several. Are we going to talk about the Eagles here? Because I was going to talk. Okay, talk that's about the final thing. Like, we'll do it at the end. Fine. Fine. Well, gotta, First like, time, re- long time, Brian. First time, <laughs> long time. We talk about the Eagles every single time. I get shit every time I've had you on a podcast. People are like, we don't want to hear about the Eagles, but it is as important. But when you think about like how the business has changed, you know, is there an area that like because I know you said like we're not going to go into news, we're not going to go into sports. I find a little bit stranger because like now sports is media is very transaction focused. I mean, maybe that window is closing with sports betting. But I think like, what I would also say is in, I think we saw the landscape in entertainment where we thought we would compete is significantly more open than the landscape in sports. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of like, but like, are there maybe sports is way more competitive? Like, cause I think what's interesting and we'll see how it goes with people, but like, you know, running that playbook on people is totally different than running the playbook on Better Homes and Garden, I think. Like, maybe it's totally like different. A, okay. Yeah. Like, but do you think, like, that'll give you, like, even more confidence to, like, you know, to go into a lot I broader mean, areas? Because, I mean, you've been, like, very much... Just... I may that be our may that be our worst problem. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we generally haven't lacked for confidence. Sometimes it's misdirected. Um, but, you know, maybe? I don't know. We'll see. I think that... We obviously have our hands full. We're six months in. We we yeah. haven't done anything yet. We haven't proven to anybody. We've done a million things internally that make us believe our thesis, right? That we think we were totally right with this deal. And there's all these green shoots and things that prove we've done. But like, we have to go do it now. And the, I think the one interesting thing for us is if we don't do it, like, look, the market's tough now. It might get worse. It might get better. All these other things are going on. But if we don't do it, it's our fault. Like, and we really believe that with the things that we know from dot dash and having to do this ourselves, 
to combine with these like incredible brands that we got from Meredith and frankly, the incredible people at Meredith that know how to deal with brands. And we don't, we have to learn from them. Like if we don't do this, it's our fault. Like, it's not like, you're not going to hear us blaming Google or blaming Facebook. Like it's not their fault. It's our fault if we don't do this. Right. And we have, I think we have as good a chance as anybody to make a like, traditional publishing media business that can stand on equal footing with the Facebook, whatever metas and Googles of the world when you go into an advertiser. And if we can do that because of this combination of scale and intent and brand, we can do that on our size. And we're almost as big as those guys in terms of uniques. Like we got a puncher's chance to do something really incredible here. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So like on that journey, like I'm wondering, like, cause like, you know, in can now it's like, it's all, everyone's talking about data, like nonstop and stuff like this. And like, I think Everyone's saying, well, now the publishers have more power because they have first party data and it's all about first party data. You know, give me, give me your sort of reaction to that. First of all, like, is that real or not? I mean, I mean, it, is it real? Is it not real? Like, I, so here's what we have always thought and believed. Look, there's an entire ecosystem built around cookies that is, in, that is at some stage are falling apart. It's probably like two thirds apart now. What we've always wanted to do, and even people fits in this too, is if you're intent-driven traffic, like if you land on content for us, that's like, what color do I need to paint my kid's bedroom, my infant's bedroom? We know everything about you we need to know way better than a cookie could ever tell you. We know that you likely just had a kid or a take care of a kid. We know that correlates with needing a new car. We know correlates with needing a new house. We know it correlates with needing a new credit card. We know it correlates with paint and furniture. Like we're good on targeting. And the story we have to tell is that beats cookies and beats any of this data and identifiers. And we don't need to know who you are, which seems to know what you're doing. If we can tell that story, we're great. Now, what we've been able to do is, you know, I think we have 30 million user sessions a day across 30 million plus user sessions a day. When you mm -hmm. aggregate the behavior of all these people, we know an incredible amount of things. Now that's first party data because that's how they're performing on our sites. But I don't need to know that you're Brian Marcy. I just need to know that you went to this. So it's, so we get around a lot of these issues and it's a story we're trying to tell. Now, the question for us is there's a lot of people trying to make other identifiers. Like, do we play ball with them? Do we not play ball with them? You have to do what advertisers want you to do, right? Because it's their yeah. money and all of them, you know, like CMOs and agencies and advertisers and this supplier and that supplier and the other, they're all built around something that is self-serving for, if you're the CMO and you just spent all this money doing all this like cookie-based stuff for the last five years, you don't want to go back to your boss and be like, oh, dude, I was totally wrong. So we got to figure out how to work with yeah. that. But at the end of the day, we like where this is all headed. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to do five minutes on uh, Philadelphia sports. For those of you who are uninterested, you can stop listening right now. We're not going to talk about the Sixers for obvious reasons, so we'll just go. To, and I think... I don't want... No, I don't want PJ. No PJs. It's two on the nose. Stop it. So you can trade five below you want, but no PJ. <laughs> but like, so I think because like, you know, with Philly sports, Carmen and just excitement, like it's gone from, you know, excitement about the Sixers to excitement about the Eagles. I personally, I think it's misplaced until they have a new quarterback, but I defer to you. I don't know. I, what my take on hurts. I think we're good enough. We're good enough. We're good enough. We're not going to, I don't think we're not winning anything important, but we're good enough. We got to see. Here's the thing that gives me encouragement. AJ Brown loves the guy, 
wants to play with a guy. Now he got a lot, paid a lot of money to do yeah, it. Yeah, and paying a lot of money, you might want to play with your friend who's not that good because like Absolutely. I got paid a lot of you money. See that guy like what, what's but that was good. Uh, but Terry Kill's like in in uh in Miami and like Tua can't hit like the side of a bar and he's like he's more accurate than no. Mahomes. <laughs> and that's a and he's sure. saying this from his like, like yeah. his like South <laughs> Beach like mansion or whatever. Like it's like whatever. <laughs> totally. I like the defense. I like the pick of Davis. Also, my son's name is Davis, so I can buy a jersey that says Davis on the back, and it doesn't have to be one of those weird custom ones you make and put your own name on the back. Yeah. So I can add it to like the Anthony Davis jersey collection, which is very positive for my house. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I feel pretty good. Okay. What, we have a millennial coach. What's the millennial t-shirts? He is. I, I, he's, <laughs> you know, he's planting his seeds and whatever it's growing and whatnot. But like, so give me the, you're over under. What's the record this year? Now they're now 17 games. And I was like, I, I know for some of that. For us, I yeah, always want to say 10 and, and six. six. I think <laughs> what's the, is the over under nine and a half? I think what's so. I take the over. I think they went 10 and seven. I think the NFC is so horrible. Yeah. Like the commander's karma is terrible. The giants are terrible. The cowboys are just the cowboys. So that, that you've got five wins there. And then I think they find five more. There's like the Jaguars at home. There's a bunch of weird games. They should be fine. Okay. We're going to end on that optimistic. Just look at the schedule to figure out, to, yeah, to figure out, you know, which game I can hit someone up for tickets in Philadelphia. Oh, come on. You got to have like, you know, the dot dash, Mer- the dot dash Meredith box. No, but hey, wait, on your travels, on your travels, have you seen Hustle yet? What? Hustle, the Adam Sandler no. movie on Netflix no, wh- about when did this come like, out? It's a Sixers Philadelphia basketball story. A thousand great yeah. Philly basketball cameos. Neil, I've been in Europe for three. Know, it uh, came out a few weeks ago. You got to watch it. It's actually not. It's a pretty good movie. It's not like it's a, <laughs> a little bit more sophisticated. <laughs> you would have been on a lot of plates. So watch Hustle. You should watch Hustle. It's very good. There's outstanding cameos from like from Julia Serving on down. To, like. Tyrese Maxey's in. I watch it with my, again, my eight-year-old son, who on like a one to tens, no sevens, no tens, you got to commit six or eight. If you're from Philly and were a, like a bad to mediocre high school basketball player right. like me, it's a singular act of cinema that I love deeply. The only person who liked it more than me was my son because like Tyrese Maxey was in it. He's eight. And he's like, my son can't separate the fact that like, well, Tyrese Maxey yeah. and Tobias Harris are playing themselves. How can this not be real? I'm like, well, it's not. How did part Tobias of the that? Other Other than than that, that, it was story. great. But we uh, should watch Hustle. We want to end up we want to end it on an optimistic note. Neil, thank you so I'm, much. I'm, I'm unclear. Oh, that's cute. That's staying in. <laughs> Tobias does it. It's perfectly that, fine that people sh- if people want to shit on me on the <laughs> internet like all day long and someone gives you know, me a two hundred and seventy six million dollar contract, I, I, that deal. Every day. It's fine. Catch and shoot Tobias is new and he's only got two years left. He might be like a deadline chip. God is good to Tobias. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right, thanks, Ed. That was fun. Thank you for listening this week. We will be back next week with a new episode. The Rebooting Show is produced by Pod Help Us. Podcasts are a great way to expand your client base. Pod Help Us lets you focus on having engaging conversations, giving your brand the full stack of services needed for a professional look and sound. Start your podcast today at podhelp.us.